If you would, would you please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 5. And in the last few weeks, we've been looking at many different things about the church here on Sunday mornings. We've talked about elders and deacons and shepherding and and looking forward to the future and, and even revitalization last week. And so this week, Bill asked me to preach on the mission of the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. The mission of the church, or, or better yet, why do we exist as this body of people? What's our mission? What's our purpose And so there's no shortages of passages on this topic. In Scripture, you have Matthew 28, 2 Corinthians 5, Ephesians 4, Acts 1. Uh, But this morning, we're going to be in Colossians. And it's this wonderful passage where Paul, he's talking about his own ministry. And it's to the church at large. And, And so what I want us to see in this text is that Paul's ministry here, it's a blueprint for our church here in Tupelo. And I think there's some things we can learn from it. But before we go further, let's read the passage. Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In this reading of God's word this morning, would you join me as we seek God's help to understand this wonderful passage. Father, we thank you for your word and how it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and Father, we also thank you for your church. But Father, we have questions about what our mission is, what we should do, what's our purpose. And Father, we pray that you would enlighten us this morning from your passage, that we would see uh, your goal for the church. But larger than that, Father, we pray that we would see Jesus this morning, even as we talk about his bride, the church. Father, we ask that you illumine our minds and illumine our hearts. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts this morning to understand. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I am in a group message with some guys, and just this past week in this group message, Brendan Farrell uh, made me aware of a very interesting quote. And he said the quote was from former Ole Miss basketball coach Andy Kennedy, 
And some of you Ole Miss fans, you probably know this quote. It was either in 2006 or 2007. It was his second year as a coach at Ole Miss, and, and he was able to land a very good transfer basketball player. And apparently early on in the season, the team, they had some struggles. And there's a fan website that recounted that there was this game in which the star transfer, he was not having a very good game. And at some point in the game, the player, he missed a shot, and then he played some half-hearted defense, allowing the other team to score. And so after this, Kennedy yelled at the player to where everyone in the arena could hear, and he said, justify your existence. Justify your existence. It's, it's not the typical thing you'd hear a coach say. You might say, try harder or, or, or play better defense. I, I don't know what coaches do. I'm not an athlete. But uh, justify your existence. Essentially saying, why are you here? Are you here just to exist and, and waste time up and down the court? Or are you here for a purpose? And apparently this phrase took hold around Oxford to the point where I asked a friend who doesn't live here if he'd heard it before and he said he thought that anyone who followed the program back then would have heard of it. Justify your existence. It's an impactful statement. It's a good philosophical question for us to ask. Justify your existence. Now, I tell that story as an introduction because I mentioned I'm preaching on the mission of the church. And so I want us to ask that same question today of us, of this body here. Why does the church exist? And I mean that as the universal worldwide church, but also our local body here, Longdale Presbyterian Church. You know, if someone were to ask you this week at work, why do we exist as a church? How would you answer that question? If we polled everyone in this room, we'd probably get a lot of different answers to that question. This morning, I want us to look at what the Apostle Paul says as he answers that question. Paul started at least 14 churches by himself, more if you count those from the people that he sent. So he knows a thing or two about why churches exist. And so it's in our passage today that Paul lays out his mission, his purpose for the church. And so think about that, how you would answer that question. Why do we as a church exist? And see if your answer is different or the same after we dive into this text and see what Paul says our mission is. And so this passage today, uh, I have three points for us. Uh, three things that I think we can see from this passage. The first is the commission. The second is the cost. And the third is the course. And I actually kind of have some alternative titles this morning. And so if you want that, it'd be like this. It's the commission or what to do. The cost, what's it going to cost us? And the third thing, the course, or how do we do it? How to do that? How do we carry out that mission that we have? So let's look at our first point this morning, the commission. What are we to do? All right, if you look down at verse 25, we're going to come back to verse 24 in just a few minutes, but we're going to start at verse 25. He, he writes, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And so the very first thing that I want to point out here is who this commission is given to. And I think when we think about the mission of the church, it can be an easy thing for us to say, okay, Jeremy, I hear you, mission of the church thing that's really for, for you and Bill and the elders and deacons to figure out. Um, even Paul says he's a minister, y'all are ministers. Uh, that's something for y'all to do. 
And, and yes, it's true. Bill and I do think about these things a lot. It's what drives what we do in our ministries. But I want to look at this word here for minister when Paul says, I'm a minister. Uh, in Greek, it's, it's the word diakonos. You, you might have heard that before because we talked about it a few weeks ago. We were talking about deacons. That's where we get that word from. What, what it just simply means is, I'm a servant. It doesn't mean just pastor, but a servant of the Lord. And so, like I said, that's where we get our word deacon from. But what it essentially means is servant. And if you have the NIV translation, that's how it's translated in your Bible, that he's a servant of the church. And so this is not just a calling for pastors. It's a calling for all who follow Christ. And the second thing we need to notice here right at the beginning is that we all have a commission, every single one of us. That's that word stewardship there. Again, NIV actually uses the word convict, commission. But we all have a job to do. Paul says, I've been given a mission from God. And so when we speak about the mission of the church, this is exactly what Paul's talking about here. What's our mission? What's the commission that we have been given to do? Well, I think we can see two things from this passage when it's talking about our commission. So that people would know and people would grow. Uh, let's look at the first one. If we pick up in verse 25 where we left off just there, it says, to make the word of God fully known. And so that means exactly what it sounds like it means. It's to, to carry out the task of telling the gospel of Jesus, how it's fulfilled in Christ, and how that very gospel is now to go out to the nations. And so when we ask, why do we exist? Here's what Paul's answer is to this question. To share the gospel with the nations. Stop. That's it. That is why we exist. And so if you only hear one thing this first point, if you tune me out, hear that right there. What are we to do as the church? What's our commission? We're to share the gospel. We're to preach the gospel. We're to teach the gospel. And Paul goes on and he describes the gospel as this, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Now, now that might sound kind of weird to us to think about it as a mystery, right? But, but I love this kind of stuff because 24 times in the New Testament, it refers to the gospel as a mystery. The mystery of the gospel, even probably make an argument for up to 27 times in the New Testament. So think about who this letter is written to here. It's written to the Colossians. If you don't know anything at all about the Colossians, what you need to know is that they're primarily a group of Gentiles. There are not many Jews in the Colossian church. A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. And notice that Paul says the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, and then in verse 27, to them, the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this would be utterly shocking to you if you're a Jew during this time. So if you think about it, ages, generations go by, the Jews were God's chosen covenant people, and now Gentiles are included in this? That's never been the case before. This is where that mystery comes in because nobody saw it coming. It's like Paul is saying that famous Lee Corso line, not so fast, my friend. The word mystery here implies that this was always the plan. It's been revealed now is what verse 26 says. David Garland, he's a commentator. He puts it this way. He says, 
the mystery revealed to Paul was that God intended to save the Gentiles from the very beginning. Christ among the Gentiles was not plan B after the gospel had been rejected by the Jews. Rather, it was God's eternal purpose. That mystery that God would save Jews and Gentiles alike. This is why Paul begins by saying in this section, I rejoice. Right? It's like he's saying, I'm so glad that God has entrusted me, a servant, a follower of Christ, to make this mystery known to all the Gentiles. To the nations, the hope of glory, union with Christ, the way of salvation is open. It's a free offer. Respond in faith. That's the mystery that we get to share with everybody. And so you have an opportunity, an amazing opportunity, the mission of making that known to the world. And what an amazing call that is. It's, it's, again, it's not just for pastors, but it's for you in the pew. If you want a summary of what the mission of the church is in three words, you see it in verse 28. We also just sang it. Him we proclaim. That's our mission. Proclaiming Christ. That's what we're about. Proclaiming Jesus, what he's done, and we're to share that so people would know. But the mission, it goes further than just knowing. We're also to grow in that faith. If you look at verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And, and so to use some big church words here, we can think about the first call is to evangelism. The, the second call, the second mission of the church is to discipleship, right? We, we don't just stop the moment that we have faith, but yet we grow, we, we disciple. Um, after proclaiming Christ to the nations, it says we're to be in the business of warning everyone, teaching everyone, and engaging them with wisdom, Scott Pace, he's a seminary professor, he describes it this way. He says, warning includes cautioning and counseling others in light of the truth, while teaching involves informing and instructing them how to live according to the gospel. So, cautioning, counseling, informing, and instructing, by doing that, we can accomplish what Paul says, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so, even this idea of maturing in Christ suggest that our faith is something that we should grow in, right? We're to mature in, that we, we don't just stop at the moment of faith, but that we grow into it. We mature. Uh, as I'm fond of saying, we, we never graduate from the school of Christ. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or if you're 80. We're always growing. And so our mission of the church is to proclaim Christ to help people grow in that faith. And so here at Lawndale, we have a lot of opportunities to do this, to grow in Christian maturity. Um, and it's not just for people outside there, but it's also for people in here to grow in their faith. Think like Sunday school and Wednesday night, mid-month Sunday night services. Those are things that we do for the whole body. But then we have age-stratified things. We have community groups. We have youth group. We have children's ministry. Uh, if you're not involved in one of those things, be involved in them. Then we have things for women, Lawndale ladies, Alan... Lila, y'all do a great job on getting the women together. Bill has men's groups going on. If you want to be a part of that, talk to Bill. He'll get you in one. There's different things that we do here uh, to help us grow in our faith, to mature as Christians. We have service projects throughout the year. And so let me encourage you that if you're not involved in any of these things, get involved in them. It's part of our effort and discipleship to you to carry out that mission of the church.
so that we could present people mature, as we can help people grow in their faith. That's discipleship. So that's our commission. Proclaim Christ, make the gospel known, and to grow through discipleship. Let's look at our second point this morning. The cost, or, or what will it cost us to do this? Um, growing up, I used to watch this TV show, probably y'all have seen it too, it's called Dirty Jobs. And if you don't know what it is, there, there's a show where the host, Mike Rowe, he would go around and he would do the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. And so many of the jobs, they're really not that bad, it's just dirty, right? You maybe take a shower and you're fine. But some of the jobs that he does are ones that none of us would want to do. And so there's an episode where Mike, he gets to go scuba diving. He sees all sorts of sea creatures, and and he's in some of the most beautiful water that you can imagine. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? If I were to ask you, would you be interested in doing a job where you get to go to the Bahamas, you get to scuba dive, you get to see underwater creatures in crystal clear water, would you do that job? Well, there's a catch For this job that Mike had to do in this episode, uh, he was a shark suit tester. It's exactly what it sounds like. There's not even a word for it. You just have to put words. Shark suit tester. And so what you have to do is you put on this chainmail suit. You dive down to where all these sharks have a feeding frenzy. And you literally have to get bit by the sharks to make sure that the chainmail works. Like that's the job that he has to do. He said it was in his top five worst jobs that he ever did. And I quote, this is what Mike Rowe says. He says, not dirty, but straight up terrifying. I won't be doing it again ever. Right? There's a cost associated with the mission of that job. Same thing in our passage. If you look at verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm filling up what it lacks in Christ's afflictions. Verse 29, for this I toil, I labor, struggling. Chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Verse 5, for though I am absent from the body, the reason why Paul is absent from these Colossians is because he's in prison. He's in a prison cell. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it at all. The cost of mission of the church is that it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. There might be suffering involved. It could result in ostracization. It could result in self-denial, denying yourself of things that you want for yourself. Mark Maynell sums it up well. He says, this is not the kind of imagery normally associated with church ministry especially if your impression is derived from box sets where the only work that seems to keep church ministers occupied is tidying hymn books. But for Paul, ministry is nothing less than a slog. It's hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to cost us something. But if that has you down, it has you discouraged to hear that, I've got some good news for you. God always equips those he calls for the work he calls them to. He always equips his people for the work that he's called them to do. And so why can Paul rejoice in his sufferings? How can we expect to carry out the mission if it's going to be hard? Look at verse 29. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
And so that word for energy there is, is, is actually work. It's actually the same word after when it says that he powerfully works within me. And so he literally says that the way that he's able to carry out this mission is because of God's work that he powerfully works in him. And so that's the key to understanding the cost here is that we work because God is at work. He's at work within us, sustaining us, giving us endurance, being with us, present in the struggle. But yet he's also at work in the world. He's preparing hearts. He's drawing people to himself, using sinful people like us to do that. And I like what Maynell says here about the qualifications for ministry, whether it's pastoral or even just simply having a conversation with a friend. He gives three qualifications that you have to have. First is believe that Christ really does have the fullness of God in him. Low bar. Believe that Christ really does have the fullness of God in him. Second is trust him to provide all you need to serve him and don't rely on your own strength. And the third is this, be prepared to invest primarily in eternity and not in this life. Invest in eternity, not in this life. And so I want to press home what a privilege this is for us. And even though it costs something of us, it's worth it. One other thing I want to point out here, and it's that, that perplexing clause in verse 24. It might have been the first thing that your like, antenna goes up on. What did that just say? Look at verse 24. It says, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So what does he mean when he says this? Well, for the sake of time this morning... I'm not going to dive too deep into this, and, and trust me, the amount of ink that has been spilt on just this one verse is, is kind of mind-blowing. There's a lot of different takes on this. Um, let me just first say that this is not saying that there's some sort of deficiency in Jesus' work. Like when it says lacking in Christ's afflictions, it's not saying that, that the work that Jesus did is somehow deficient, that it wasn't complete. It's not saying that. So what does it mean? Well, for time's sake this morning, I want to share with you the words from one of the smartest men I know, the theologian Bill Bradford. He didn't know I was going to do this, but Bill said, in union with Christ, we suffer not to add anything lacking in Jesus' substitutionary atonement, but to sacrifice on behalf of others to help point them to a Redeemer who suffers for their salvation, like we read about Isaiah 53. That's to say, we add what's lacking in Jesus' sufferings only in the sense that means that the means by which the world is awakened to their need of a suffering Redeemer is to see people suffering for their eternal good in the name of Christ. G.K. Bill says, Christ's suffering in this life and his atoning work led to reconciliation. Paul's suffering led to that reconciliation being un uniquely proclaimed. So in our suffering, we have to proclaim that work of Christ's suffering. It's his work that leads to reconciliation. What we do is we proclaim that to people. And so it's in our cost that we're able to see even more clearly the cost of Christ's work. Because of sin, we're separated from God with no hope of glory, to use the words of Colossians here. So, Jesus, so God sent Jesus from his throne to become man. Jesus lived a perfect life. And as Isaiah says, he was a man that was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He endured to the end. And that end was a painful death on the cross where his friends abandoned him. His captors mocked him. And so he wasn't crucified for anything that he had done. But as we read from Isaiah 53 just a bit ago, he bore our iniquity on the cross. 
On the cross, he was crucified for our sin. And so in exchange through faith, we get clothed in his righteousness, the greatest story ever told. And more than that, he died, he rose from the dead, he broke the power and sting of death. And so we're now able to live as people who do not fear death because death doesn't get the final say in our lives. And so what an absolutely beautiful thing that is for us to share in. And so in our commission, we get to share that good news with the world, that it can be true for anyone without distinction who comes to Jesus in faith. But there is a cost to doing it, but it's so, so worth it. Let's look at our third and final point this morning, the course, or how do we do that? I'm going to be very brief here, and I'm actually just going to close uh, with this point here, but here's a bit of application for us. If our commission as a church is to proclaim the gospel, I think we can see some practical things from the first five verses of chapter two uh, that we can do as individuals and that we can do as a church. And because I like alliteration, I've got them all the same letter. Um, encourage, experience, exhort, and embolden. Four things that we can do as a church and as individuals. Um, in verse one, we can see Paul encourage them. He says, I want you to know. I care about you deeply, so I want you to know this. That even though I'm not with you, I care about you deeply. Be encouraged, affirm one another in the body, be knit together in love, Right? Encourage people. In the second half of verse 2, in verse 3, we see Paul essentially saying, experience Jesus. Experience and enjoy the riches of complete understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That relationship is full of treasures, it's full of wisdom, it's full of knowledge, it's, it's valuable to us. It's something that we need to experience it. Experience that. Then in verse 4, we see Paul exhort them. He warns them that there's going to be those that are going to try to persuade you otherwise. He's saying, grow deeper in your faith so that you can be prepared for all the plausible arguments that are going to come against you. Then lastly, in verse 5, he seeks to embolden them, to bolster their faith. He says, I'm with you in spirit, and that makes me happy to see what you're doing. Keep doing it. Stand firm in the faith, no matter what trials come your way. We all know very well the challenges that come with faith. Uh, I said a few weeks ago in our Sunday school class talking about assurance that uh, I was, I, think, I can't remember who I was quoting, but he said the thing about faith is that you're going to doubt. It's just inherent in faith. And so whether it's from circumstances that we're in or for, for whatever reason it is, he encourages us to embolden our faith, to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our assurance. So know that in Christ there's nothing or anyone that can snatch you out of the strong and secure hands of our Father. Remember, you were bought with a price. Rest in that truth and let's be about the business of encouraging one another, experiencing Jesus and growing in him, exhorting each other and emboldening each other's faith, reminding us of the truths of the gospel. And so here's the last thing I'll say. I just want to leave you with a quote from Scott Pace. He says, ultimately, the greatest joy in the Christian life is not found in comfort and conveniences offered in the local church. It is found in offering ourselves in sacrifice and service to its Savior and Lord. And so my question for you this morning is, do you share in that vision of the church? Are you ready to participate in the cause of Christ 
and share in our master's joy, knowing and growing. We've all been invited to the party, and now we have that opportunity to invite others as well. So would you pray with me?